and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. On today's episode, we're going to talk about tips for using your fabric stash, no matter how big it is. We'll also share some tools the editors are loving, the history of signature quilts, we're going to give a behind-the-scenes look at a dream sewing space, and share a fun Q&A with Australian quilter Helen Godin. Let's dive in. I'm here with Joanna Bergerino, the editor of Quilts and More. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic quilters love, their fabric stash. Whether you've been growing your collection for years or are just starting to build a stash, we find that some quilters are actually afraid to dig into their fabrics for their projects. So Joanna has some great tips to share for getting started on using your stash. I'm so excited to get the get to share these, Lindsay. This is one of my absolute favorite topics. I love using my stash, talking about my stash, growing my stash. Sometimes <laughs> you see a gorgeous fabric, you just have to pick it up whether or not you have a project in mind. And then when you find it again in your stash, it's just like seeing an old friend. Yeah, so we asked our Facebook readers about why they're hesitant to use our stash, and quite a few of them said the exact same thing. We quilters love our fabric. So Teresa G., one of our readers, said, A couple of times I've raided my stash and used something that belonged with another project and then had a problem when I went back to that one. I'm more careful now. What advice would you give to her? So with any stash, I think organization is key. Many quilters sort by color, myself included, but I have fabrics I've designated for a future project. I pull them and sort them separately. I usually keep them in plastic shoe boxes, but large plastic zipper baggies also work. Whatever method you choose, be sure to label the bags with the name of the project so you remember why you pulled those fabrics in the first place. I like to take a sheet of scratch paper and write down the pertinent information, so needle settings on my sewing machine, cutting sizes for fabrics I haven't cut into yet, where I left off, uh, etc. That way I just make sure I don't forget where I was when I pick it up later. I know for me sometimes it's a way later when I actually pick up the project, so that's just really helpful so I don't have to try and guess. If, however, you accidentally use some of that fabric you meant to set aside, or if you didn't save enough of that fabric, don't panic. Uh, find a fabric that reads similarly, either in color or style, and use both that fabric and the original fabric. The trick is to spread out the use of the second fabric and use it in several places, so that way when people see your finished quilt, they'll think it was a design choice and they'll have no idea that you just didn't have enough of the original. Yeah, and I actually do this with most of my quilts. I use that trick to get a scrappy look to my quilts without going too crazy on my color choices. Um, I just find that it gives a little sparkle to my quilts and makes it look scrappy, but I can just pull multiples of very similar fabrics, and it makes a big uh, dent in my stash too, which is great. Absolutely, it really does. So at the beginning of this year, Quilts and More actually did an Instagram challenge where we asked people to take photos of their stash based on particular prompts that we wrote. One thing I heard often was that quilters didn't realize what was even in their stash until they started purposely going through it. So organization helps a lot with that. About once a year, I take everything and dump it out and go through it so I can inventory and 
maybe donate fabrics that I no longer love. It also gives me room to get fun new fabrics, which, you know, there's always so much fun new fabric coming out. Who doesn't want to add that to their stash? (laughs) And But if you don't know what you've got, you'll probably never use it. Yeah, so that actually brings up another question from our reader. So Sharon H. mentioned she has fabric she's not sure how to use, and she found it too beautiful to pass up, so it's not a matter of no longer loving it. So what suggestions do you have for her? I actually like to start with those fabrics and build my projects around them. So, for example, if it's large-scale prints, sometimes those are harder to work around than small-scale. I know that large-scale prints work best for projects that have big open spaces, such as um, maybe a one-block quilt that has really big squares or a tote bag project, since the front is not usually pieced. Once I have the hard-to-use fabric and pattern nailed down, I fill in with small and medium-scale prints, solids, you know, anything in coordinating colors. So I really build the project around that. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about picking coordinated colors from your stash because I hear from a lot of quilters that they struggle with that. And personally, I usually start with fabrics from one fabric collection, like a fat quarter bundle. And then from there, I'll add in like a background print or extra pops of color based on, you know, what the pattern calls for, what colors I think I want Mm -hmm. more of from that fat quarter bundle. But having that curated collection to start with makes it really easy to add in kind of my own flair and my own fabrics. I agree. Curated bundles are a great starting point for any project. You can even curate your own bundle by pulling prints from multiple collections of one of your favorite designers. This tends to work really well because fabric designers often build their collections to coordinate. And plus, if you really love that designer, you probably have several of their collections in your stash already. Uh, For me, I usually like to start with a theme in mind. So I'll find inspiration in real life things. So right now it's summer outside and I'm thinking ice cream. So I was like, (laughs) ooh, you know, there were some really pretty sorbet colors I saw on display at a local ice cream shop. So I had a quilt where I pulled like tangerine and lime and pinks. and Mm, Fun. Yeah, very cheerful. But um, it's just really helpful to take a look at the fabrics that you've paired together in different lights, too. That's the other thing I think really helps with color. So natural light is best when you're deciding colors that look good together. But if you know where a project is going, like if you're making it for a particular room in your house, I would suggest testing the fabrics you pull in that room because that's where it's going to live. So if that room has poor lighting, you want to know what that quilt's going to look like. Yeah, great tip. Okay, so we have time for one more reader question. So Brenda H. said she was afraid to break into her stash because she hasn't decided on the perfect scrap quilt yet. Well, I think Brenda said that to the right people. (laughs) Uh, So there are a lot of great free scrap quilt patterns available at allpeoplequilt.com. And there are also some really great ones available for purchase at apqshop.com. There are just so many good ones, like just go browse and find one that speaks to you. But I will add that sometimes I think we get ourselves a little stuck on finding the one perfect anything in quilting, but in particular, the one perfect pattern. There are lots of quilts I've made with patterns that I wasn't that excited about, but once the quilt was finished and with my colors and my fabrics and my own personal flair, I loved it. So yeah, sometimes I find I personally just need to stop worrying so much about perfection and just start making things because that's the fun part. Yeah, I do that even with fabrics that I buy. Mm -hmm. Like I save them for years and years because I need that one perfect project. And then I just, 
I never get to use it, and it's just sitting yeah. on my shelf instead of being showcased somewhere. And I always think, too, if I love it on my shelf, I'm going to love it in a quilt, too. Yes, so. I love that philosophy. <laughs> so thanks so much, Joanna, and I really hope this advice helps all those quilters who are a little wary of using their stash of fabrics. And, of course, if you're interested, you can visit our show notes for links to some scrappy patterns that may help you bust your scrap piles. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Next, we're going to chat what we're loving, a segment where we share the trend, pattern, product, or person we're loving right now. I'm here with Joanna, the editor of Quilts and More. Joanna, what are you loving right now? So I'm a little late to the party on this trend, but I'm absolutely loving wool pressing mats. Even though I'd heard from several quilters who I really admire their work and I trust their opinion about how great those mats are for getting your seams flatter, I had just been dragging my feet on this one, so I had not gotten one. And what finally changed my mind is the mini makeover project I'm currently making for the next issue of Quilts and More. Every issue we feature a mini makeover project that takes a larger block of a quilt and shrinks it down, usually turning it into a different type of project, so a table runner or a pillow or bag. I always make these particular projects and I'm not super used to working mini, and the bulky seams just drive me bonkers. So I was able to borrow a wool pressing mat this time around, and I kid you not, I actually blurted out loud, where have you been all my life (laughs) after the first use? I'm actually really glad no one was around because that was kind of embarrassing. Um, But the heat distributes evenly through the top and the bottom and gets the seams to lie so much flatter with much less effort, and I'm just a love with it. It's It's been a lifesaver. Uh, I will say that the wool sheep smell can get a little much, but I'm, I'm also a knitter, so I'm kind of used to that smell. I kind of like it. It doesn't bother me too much, but um, I've heard there are some sprays that help with that smell if it really bothers you. But yeah, there are lots of different pressed wool mats on the market. I was using the Magic Pressing Mat by Pam Damore, and I just can't wait to get a pressing mat of my own. They are like life-changing. Yeah, they really are. So I'm loving Clearly Perfect Slotted Trimmers, and these are from Carrie Carr of New Leaf Stitches, and it's an acrylic ruler that you use to trim triangle squares. So I make a lot of triangle squares for my quilts, and I always oversize them and then trim them down so I get them really accurate, Um, but I am not a fan of the time it takes to trim them to size and cut all those dog ears off. So how this ruler works is before you press your triangle square open, you align this ruler with the seam line and then you trim the sides and then you cut into these little slots in the side which cut off the dog ears at the same time. So it's so easy. And she has multiple sizes of the ruler and each ruler has lines that can trim like five to 10 different sizes of triangle squares. And some are made to be trimmed on the half inch line and some on the inch line. So you can find one that fits any needs. And it's my favorite tool to trim triangle squares. And so I would definitely recommend if you make a lot of these and you just need a tool to help you trim them easily. So make sure to visit our show notes to find out more about these products. I'm now joined by Jody, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting for Collector's Corner, a segment where we explore antique quilts and their history. Jody, what are we talking about today? Today I'm going to talk about a subgroup of antique quilts that are called signature quilts. So as far back as the mid-1800s, people were making quilts that included signatures. 
And at a time when people were moving away and sometimes never returning home to visit their families, these quilts were really valuable reminders of their family and their friends back home. And because they were treasured keepsakes, many of them received special care, and they're still in really good condition today. The most basic signature quilt is one that's constructed using a single block with signatures from families and friends. And earlier quilts often had inked signatures, while later quilts have ones that have been embroidered. And they can easily be made from scrap, so it didn't require a great deal of investment in materials. Now I want to kind of talk about some different subgroups within signature quilts. First of all are album quilts. And these are made with pieced or applique blocks. Included in the design of the block is a place for the name to be either written or embroidered. And these quilts uh, were not made to be everyday functional quilts, but they were more keepsakes and things like a wedding gift that might be given to somebody um, at the time of their wedding. Now, there's album quilts, and then the next thing is presentation quilts. And presentation quilts were when a member of the community, such as a minister or a teacher, was being honored in some way. So these quilts contain signatures of friends and acquaintances, and a presentation quilt might be given for a special event or maybe a retirement. There's also fundraising quilts. So fundraising quilts are signature quilts that were made specifically to raise money for a political uh, event maybe or point of view. It might have been made for an organization or charity, um, sometimes for churches for missionary work. So here's how it worked. For a small contribution, sometimes a dime was the most common, an individual or family name would be applied to a block and then added to the quilt. And fundraising quilts are really easily recognizable today because they often contain large numbers of signatures. Due to that sheer number of all the signatures, sometimes they're the only design element in a quilt. So sometimes you'll see a muslin background and then you'll see um, a lot of signatures embroidered in, for example, like red. And it almost looks like a Dresden plate, but it's all these signatures that are making the design. And then finally, there's uh, what's known as celebrity quilts. So this is where quilters sent letters and blank pieces of fabric to politicians, uh, movie or musical celebrities, prominent members of their community, and they asked them to sign the block and mail it back. Often these blocks were returned with a letter or a signed photo from that person, and that helped to authenticate the signature. Then all of these blocks were sewn into a quilt. Now, I want to tell you about one of the quilts in my collection um, that's a signature quilt. It was made in 1942, and I know that because the design is embroidered on the quilt itself. The design of the quilt is it has a muslin hexagon, and the hexagon is surrounded by 36 print triangles. So in the center of each hexagon is embroidered a first name. So there's blocks from Ola and Ada and Verna and Daisy and Ma Worthington. But around the outside of the quilt, in 11 of the blocks, is the name Laureen. Now, all of these blocks have the same print. So I'm assuming that Laureen was tasked with making more blocks to make the quilt big enough for whatever reason that they needed it to be. And she wanted to make sure that she got credit for making all of those extra blocks. Now, while this particular quilt is a really nice quilt without any of the names, the signatures give it greater value and insight into this particular group of ladies than a quilt that would bear no names or have no written provenance to accompany it.
Thanks so much for sharing that, Jody. Next, we're going to share an interview that our coworker Beth Peterson did back in March. She traveled to Salt Lake City to film videos with Handy Quilter with Australian quilter Helen Godin. And we're finally starting to post some of those videos online, so we thought it would be a really fun time to share this interview. We'll have links to the videos in our show notes. Hi, I'm Beth Peterson, and we're here with Australian quilter Helen Godden in the Handy Quilter Studios in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've just filmed some Michigan quilting videos that will appear on the American Patrick and Quilting website later this year. Helen has been an artist all her life and is now a Handy Quilter ambassador for their Sweet 16 machine. She travels the world to teach and share her love of quilting. She's an incredibly talented art quilter and free motion quilter, and we're so excited to chat with her a little today. Thanks for joining us, Helen. Oh, thanks very much. So to start off, tell us a little bit how you, about how you became a quilter. Well, I've always been an artist all my life, earning my income from my artwork. And then 13 years into our marriage, um, we had a little baby. And pretty soon after that, unfortunately, my husband fell 40 foot from a cliff while he was rock climbing. Oh, gosh. And this is the short version of that story. He is quite okay now. Recovery was complete. But in that time, um, my parents moved um, from Sydney to Canberra, which is three hours away from each other in Australia, and helped me with this new baby and my husband in hospital. And after that, my mother was very wise in introducing me to quilting virtually as a therapy for me. So having had an art background, I really was not interested in joining together squares and triangles and all that classic um, quilting kind of um, scenario. But I took my artwork and painted and then learned how to do free motion quilting which really was like drawing for me. So I just took all my art and drawing and design skills and just straight away applied it to a domestic machine at that point and was straight away able to do my free motion quilting and I haven't looked back. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so how long have you been quilting? Um, that's only 15 years. Only? Yes, well. <laughs> yes. Um, that's great. So what are some of your favorite features of the Sweet 16 machine? That's what you... You primarily yes. quilt on now. I've had my Sweet 16 since 2007. And so the fact that you can straight away take your free motion, from free motion quilting to the next level because you've got all that space to work with. It's that 16-inch throat that makes all the difference to be able to move the quilt. So straight away you can quilt larger and with more confidence and more ease. Uh, I also love on the Sweet 16 the uh, lighting. It makes it so easy even if I'm working at night time or on dark fabrics, I can do my free motion quilting. Um, and then we do so many other little fancy tricks with it like our couching and we put bindings on with the Sweet 16. You can do all sorts of things with the Sweet 16. It's so much more than just a straight stitcher. So when people start machine quilting their own quilts, I think you can kind of get stuck in a straight stitch or stitch in the ditch rut. So what are some suggestions you have for people to maybe get more adventurous with their quilting? Well, a lot of people think the easy way to quilt is to stitch in that ditch. And it's actually one of the hardest things to achieve because you've given yourself one opportunity to be exactly in that ditch and if you miss it, you've got this feeling of it being wrong or not good enough. If people really get adventurous and actually get into their free motion quilting, they'll find it's way more forgiving than actually ditch stitching. So a really good way to practice that is to draw on paper and keep observing as much 
designs, whether it be in quilting, in wallpaper, in jewellery, in clothing, all the different patterns that you see, and working out on paper first how to make that pattern and then taking that practice to the machine. So in your own quilts, what techniques and materials do you enjoy experimenting with? Well, predominantly I paint my quilt surfaces because I really want to get to the quilting as quick as possible. So I paint that fabric and then um, yeah, enjoy the quilting process. But as far as more experimenting, I work a lot with um, dye on fabric, which gives me a watercolour look to the painting. I work with acrylic paint on dark fabrics and it gives a totally different look. I also have uh, won many awards over the years for my bleach painting technique, which is where I actually paint with bleach. So some people would say that's discharge dyeing, but the word dyeing implies a fairly random act that might happen in a bucket or something, whereas this is actually using a brush and painting the bleach onto a dark fabric and seeing the darks um, come away and the lighter colours be revealed. So I have complete control painting with bleach on black fabric. So that's a bit different, but uh, it's a lot of fun as well. And you were telling us earlier that you've also done some batiks. Yes, I have actually learnt the traditional techniques um, from an Indonesian master in Bali uh, using the chanting tool where we actually have the wax um, and we create the line work on the fabric and then use the dyes as well. So and that's a traditional technique as opposed to using the blocks that we so often see in our um, batik fabric that we buy. In one of our videos, you showed a beautiful quilt that was birds, and you had hand-painted all the birds, and it was Birds of Australia. And mm -hmm. we found that you had a little bit of a talent <laughs> for bird calls. Would you give us one of your favorite bird calls? Well, I'm not going to give up my day job, but um, yeah. So a kookaburra is an Australian bird, and you might have heard that one. They're the one that will um, see you stumble in the street or drop something, and they tend to laugh at you. They seriously, you think they're actually laughing at you. So it goes a little bit like this. <laughs> and now you're laughing at me, so thanks very much for that. <laughs> well, I hope everyone else at home is also laughing with us, too. Okay, so since Helen is from Australia, we thought it would be fun to do a little USA versus Australia <laughs> vocabulary. Okay. So in the United States, we call it batting. We would say wadding. And then a serger. I had no idea what that was, but it's an overlocker in Australia. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. Heard that. And then we call it a pattern. Well, I say pattern, and it's got more of a D in the middle of it, and no one ever seems to understand what I'm saying. But the other one that we have trouble with is when we want to refer to raw edge applique, I just say raw edge applique. And no one can hear what I'm saying. So I have to slow right down and say raw edge applique. <laughs> and then we had a trouble today with um, when I'm saying 18 inches, but I say it 18 and you say 18. 18. So, yeah. And then, of course, what you call muslin, I call calico. So that gets confusing sometimes. But we all speak the language of quilting and we all know what a quarter inch is, correct? That's right. <laughs> Uh, is there anything else that you want to add and tell us about, Helen? Um, well, if people want to learn more about my quilts, they can have a look online. So um, um, HelenGodden.com is my website where I sell lots of um, online classes and blocks of the month, uh, DVDs and, and different products that I love to use. And then on Facebook, they can follow me on Helen Godden Quilts. And I've always got different content. My whole... Um, 
motto is education and inspiration. And that's what I really try to do with the social media for all my quilting followers. Yes, and you will be able to see those videos that we filmed with Helen later this year on allpeoplequilt.com. And we're so excited for those. So watch out for those. And thanks so much for your time, Helen. Thank you. Been great. Thanks very much. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm here with Elizabeth Stumbo, the designer of American Patchwork and Quilting for Get Organized, a segment where we give storage tips for your sewing space. So today we're going to do something a little different. So in our October issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, which just hit newsstands last week, we're featuring a story called Create Your Dream Space, which gives a lot of tips for organizing and planning your dream sewing room. And Elizabeth and I actually worked on this story together since we're both kind of organization geeks. Um, so we wanted to share a little behind the scenes of designing the space. So Elizabeth, we'll start with like, how did we approach making the dream room? Because obviously everyone's definition of a dream room is really different. Yep, and every, we realize that everyone has their own space and you know space requirements that they're dealing with and so we really just wanted to fill this article with a beautiful inspiring space but also just sprinkle tips and tricks throughout the whole article so regardless of what room you have what size of space you have to work in hopefully there'll be some inspiring tips that you can take from um, the article so we really approached it in that way we also um, started by asking some of some of you guys some of our listeners and facebook followers what would they would love to see in their dream room so we had some really great responses from that um, i don't know Lindsay, if you had any specifics you remember um, I know we had some really funny answers. Like some people were like, I just want a lock on my door, <laughs> which I just thought was <laughs> or great. All the people, yeah, that wanted their own private bathroom. And I was like, you'll never have to leave your sewing room. Yeah, they just want it all. Like yeah. a coffee maker, a refrigerator, a bed. A couple people said they wanted a bed, which <laughs> we did not deliver on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think it was really interesting to read through everyone's answers because we asked like what their common struggles were in their sewing areas because we really wanted to make sure that we were addressing problem spots for them. And then we're also including things that they would want to see in their dream space. So I think I was a little surprised by some of the answers we got just in terms of what problems areas were um, and also what they wanted to see in their space. And like, for instance, the cutting table. Yes, like, that was big. We figured out that 10% of our Facebook audience wanted a cutting table. They listed the cutting table as the number one thing they would want in a dream space, like one yes. they could walk around. Yeah, but one they could walk around, that was an island in a way, and really big. So they could really spread out their yardage on it and get cutting around all 360 degrees around that table. Yeah, so that really kind of helped shape the room because that became mm -hmm. kind of a focal point. It did, yeah. It really drove the room. And then we started thinking about workflow and space. And, you know, I think another thing people talked about was they don't love it when their um, sewing station and their machine is up against a wall. They wanted a cutting or a sewing station that was away from the wall, that they could face the room, um, and they could, if they were working on big quilts, it could fall over the back of their, their table, and um, they'd have that space there behind the table. So that's how we kind of decided where we wanted to put the um, sewing station, and then we thought, like, where does the cutting table go, and where what else do you need? Oh, you usually need an ironing board really close by. So we kind of figured, and did a lot of sketches together with our producer and we ended up on this kind of triangle workflow. Um, so you have this really great um, flow of space between the sewing station, your cutting table, and your ironing board. Yeah, and I actually have the 
triangle in my home sewing space, which I never realized this was something people thought about in terms of, you know, room flow until you were mentioning it when we were setting the room up. And I was like, that's exactly how I set my space up. And I went through a few, you know, uh, arrangements of my room and finally settled on that. So it makes so much sense now that that's what I settled on. Yeah. So we kind of let that vision kind of drive how we approach the space. Um, And from there, we just, you know, kind of filled in in with um, some really fun furniture and products and tips and storage products. So hopefully there's lots of inspiration for everyone. Yeah. So we haven't talked about fabric storage yet, which is probably the the main main focus of a lot of people's sewing rooms. So, Elizabeth, you actually got to go to the container store to design the closet that we use to store all the fabric. So can you tell us a little bit more about, like, you worked with the design team there? Yeah, so we actually did a trip to the container store. They're the experts at this. And we knew we wanted to do fabric storage in a closet because that's something we haven't ever really approached before in our magazine. And it's such a reality for a lot of people that their fabric is stored in a closet. And the benefits of that is that you can keep your fabric safe and away from the natural light that can fade and harm your fabric. So we went to the container store and we talked to them about our dreams and our wishes. And um, it's really great. I would highly recommend them for anyone if you're interested in any kind of closet installation because they'll help you. Um, They have a program that they'll show you kind of so you can visualize right away what it all will look like. We picked the system we wanted, which is a very easy system to install yourself. And you can find similar things at other stores too. But we just really loved working with the container store on that because they were the experts and kind of helped us fit the space, think about it, about um, we came in with the dimensions of our closet and they helped us fit it all in. Think about things like, okay, when these drawers extend full, like, you know, all the way out, do you have enough room with your walls and your doors and that's not going to run into things? So they really helped us figure that out. Yeah, they're the experts. So they know the kind of the questions to get you thinking about when you're designing the space. And I love that we have kind of a custom closet because I think when people, you know, approach storage, they just try to make things that they buy at the store fit their space. And that's not always the best use of the space you have. So for things like closets or their, you know, other awkward spaces, custom fitting it to your space and making it really work for what you have is sometimes the best option. Yeah. So we worked with them. So we built in a lot of drawers that fully extend. So when you're searching through your stash, you can see it all at first one glance. We have a hanging rod for some of those larger pieces of fabrics. And for your storage, we have an over the door hanger system too. That's great for your um, works in progress or unfinished tops. Um, And then we have some shelves we built into Um, So just it has a lot of stuff going on in the closet, um, but lots of great tips in there and ideas that hopefully people will find helpful. And um, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. Okay. So in our dream room, we showcased a sewing station, the cutting station, closet storage, and then we had a few extra spaces like a design wall and like some extra bookshelves for displays. Was there one area that was like the hardest to set up or give storage ideas for? I I would have to go back to the closet. I think that was the most challenging part of it because it was um, so unique and we were just really trying to maximize that space so we could keep the clutter out of the rest of the room and keep everything really contained within that closet. So, um, And just one other thing, like a lot of companies like the Container Store also have an online um, website where you can kind of play around with this design flow yourself too before you go into the store. So another great tip is to check out websites for ideas and they have lots of great inspiration too. Awesome. So do you have a favorite tip or two that we've featured in the dream room? Mm, Yeah. So 
I think one of the things is that we tried to keep the space very neutral. So we chose a light gray color for the walls and chose kind of neutral furniture with a couple pops of color of turquoise, one of my favorite colors. But we really, the idea behind this is that we wanted your inspiration and your projects to be the you know, bring in the color to the room. So we have some space built in there for a wall hanging. That would be really fun to change out with different seasons or as you're finishing different projects. So just to surround yourself with um, the things you're working on. And we built in some um, really fun handmade projects like a fabric banner and some pillows. And everything that's in the article is available. The instructions are either available in the magazine or online for free. I love that because then your projects can be the star of your room and really add that pop of color and it's what draws your eyes first. Yep. And just keep everything kind of neutral so you can change it out as your tastes change too. Yeah. White or gray will always look good with anything you may buy. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And my favorite tip was actually to purchase an adjustable height cutting table so that you can raise it up or down to fit your space and need. And we actually have this problem in our office where... Uh, We're all different heights, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm one of the taller people in the office, so I don't have trouble cutting on the tables we have, but I know a lot of other people do because they're just a little too short. Um, So this, I I didn't know you could buy tables that you could just adjust with just like a crank so you can change it for any of your needs. So I'm definitely going to check this out. Right now I'm sewing or I'm cutting on a card table at home, which is a little too low for me and it's a little wobbly. So if I do a lot of cutting at once, I get back pain. So I'm... That was another thing we heard from a lot of our readers is that, you know, back pain is an issue or standing too long. So we also, in addition to the cutting table that's adjustable height, we also added one of those... I don't know what they're called, the little ergonomic. Oh, the, um, the mat. The mat, yes. So if you're standing there cutting for a long time, you can be on this cushy mat. So um, we added that to the space as well. Yeah, great idea. So I bet some people that read this article are going to be really surprised to know that we shot this whole dream space down in our photo studio, and it's not an actual room in a house. Yep, <laughs> so spoiler. You did, you did a really good job at making it look like one. So do you have any like fun behind-the-scenes stories of that process? Yeah, um, so I think... One funny thing that we did is we actually, for all the fabric that we needed to fill all of these drawers in for the closet, is we actually had our coworker, Allison, bring in her fabric collection. And it worked out so great because she already had them sorted by fabric. By and, color. And, or by color and already folded. So <laughs> um, it was a little sad to have to give them back to her. She did want the fabric back, but that saved us a ton of time <laughs> when we were just like propping the space and filling it all in. And um, then another funny thing that happened on the day of the shoot, we were all busy shooting and, you know, moving lights around and doing all the different shots. And um, a tour group came in through the photo studio. Um, They were from a local community college, a bunch of photography students. And they just sat and observed us for a couple of hours. (laughs) So that was a little weird. We kind of felt like we were in a fishbowl, but it was fun for them to see the whole process. Yeah. And I was down there for a little bit and I'm just always surprised like how dark it is when you're shooting. Mm. It it looks so sunny when you're, you know, in the photographs, but you actually keep it really dark in the studio. Yeah. So we bring in our own lights and kind of light the space. So we have a little bit more control over that. But um, I think what also surprised me is just how peaceful the space felt. Like we were in this really busy photo studio and everyone who came to visit us on set that day or when we were, you know, the days leading up to the shoot, we didn't ever want to leave the space. It was just such a great space. And even in the chaos of the photo studio, it felt very calm and peaceful. And I just wish I could have brought some projects and <laughs> did some sewing right then and there. How long did it take you to 
you know, build the set and then rip it down and get it all shot. Yeah. So we had been working on this for a couple of months leading up to the shoot. And then the week of the shoot, we kind of blocked off that entire week. I think the shoot was on a Thursday. And so we started setting it up on a Monday and just did a little bit every day. Um, We had our amazing photo studio director there and they were kind of producing it and building it for us on set. And so that was really helpful. But we did all the propping and styling of it ourselves. And then we ended up tearing it down in about a day. So, (laughs) yep, we had to turn it over really quick. It was really sad to tear it down. Yeah, well, it looks beautiful. Thank you. So great job. Uh, check out the October issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, which is on newsstands now for the story. And we're also doing a really fun giveaway of some of the products that were featured in the room so you can win your own dream room. And so you can visit our show notes for information and we'll have more links to kind of some storage tips and more behind the scenes from our dream room. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Thank you. all and thanks for listening keep in touch american patchwork and quilting is on facebook pinterest and instagram at all people quilt email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast and if you love the american patchwork and quilting podcast please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps other quilters find us Have a creative week.